We are the Mystery History Podcast. I'm Allison. I'm Rachel. Welcome to episode 150 on Dean Coral, the Candyman Killer. You know about this dude? No, I don't. This thing is messed up. Ooh. I know about Candyman, like the movie. Like the movie? Yeah. It's not like that? No. Mm. It's different. Is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm excited to learn about some stuff today. All right. Before uh, speaking, we get... Speaking oh, about be- learning about stuff today. Yeah. Hear about these aliens? Holy shit. We're not alone, folks. We all knew it. But now we know it for real. For real. For real, for real. Did you... So you did not watch any of that, like, hearing... No, I just forwarded it to you and I was like, do you see this shit? <laughs> but I didn't see this shit. I just, right. and Megan, you see the shit so you can tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, In the hearing, they were asking questions that these people couldn't answer. So this lady in the hearing is asking these guys questions and they can't answer all of them. But a couple of times, I feel like different people asked them, like, what agencies are over this information? Like, who do they need to bring in so they can get answers to their questions? And they said they'd provide them a list, but they weren't, they didn't do it, like, publicly. So I'm, like, really excited to find out, like, what areas of government, like, what do people know? How many people know information? Like, I bet there's oh. a ton of people that already knew. Oh, well, they've said, like, things that they exist yeah, in, in I, bits and I pieces. Mean, I watch Paranormal Caught on TV or whatever it's called, and they have pilots on there that have seen things. And the pilots are always like, yeah, I like they took my remarks and I never heard anything ever again. And I'm pretty sure in some point of those hearings, somebody said something similar like that happened to them they don't get any information so like can you imagine seeing a freaking alien and then like reporting it and then just having to like let it go right like (laughs) maybe i'm crazy well no they like listen to you and they're like okay thank you for the information bye (laughs) (laughs) and like we're not gonna update you on anything like that's where i think go away men in black had it right with the little like at least they wiped your memory so you yeah. didn't have to stick with, with that. Yeah. yeah. And it I, makes you think about all the people in the history of the world that have been like, I got abducted by aliens and like butt probed. And then like their whole community is like, you know, Bob, he's a little touched. Like just ignore him. But he right. probably did get taken up by aliens and butt probed and nobody believes them. <laughs> I gotta say, I'm a little upset about the uh, vehicle that they're saying that they travel in the dark gray or black cube inside a clear sphere five to 15 feet in diameter first off a black cube is not aerodynamic i mean i guess it's in a sphere these move like so fast like they're they describe it like point 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 they're all over the place and they go so high up into like space 
that they're following on these radars and then like back down and like going so quick that they said that they're like humans couldn't survive that and that there are no materials that we have that could survive that kind of like speed and Mm -hmm. shift and like everything would deteriorate that's insane yeah isn't that wild i need to know what they look like that's really my end goal here i don't care if they exist it'd be silly of us to not think that there's something more out there i just think that that's very like we're the best and that's all there is like that's ridiculous we can't be the best surely not surely not but i need to know more I just want to know more. Like, what are they doing up there? What's going on? I think we're going to know more. Seems like we're getting, um, like, baby spoon fed the information. Do you ever think they probably can't tell us everything because then people probably would freak out. But right now they're just, like, so vague and, like, giving us little tiny bits and letting us digest it. (laughs) Do you ever feel... Do you like uh, what's that show? But like twenty, that show twenty four. You know, I've never seen it, but it's like there's this catastrophic thing that's going to happen, and he has twenty four hours. I'm assuming I've never watched the show, but like twenty four hours to save the world every day. And do you really that think would be that, exhausting? I, don't I know. know what you're talking about, but that sounds terrible. It's Kiefer Sutherland who is a hottie, but and he could do it if anybody could. I tell you that. But I mean, I wonder if there are things every single day that just would catastrophically happen if there isn't just one guy out there just like stopping all of them stopping it i don't know it's a lot to think about and like the truman show kind of blows my mind too yeah the truman show does blow my mind because what if we (laughs) i'm gonna sound real dumb are you about to the matrix our life right now I know, like, if we think that we're, like, the top dog, but there are aliens, are we somebody else's aliens? Is there another oh, life yeah. form out there that's lower than us that are, like, we're top dog, but no, we're, we exist, but they think we're the aliens? You know what I mean? I guess. Are you following what I'm saying? It makes sense to me. And I mean, I'm, I'm sh- sharing you, but if we're, like, uh, higher life forms than them, wouldn't we be, like, visiting them and, like taking information about them what do you think we're doing on mars we didn't find anything on mars not that we know of you and i but who knows if they're keeping aliens from us who knows what else is over there we don't know well maybe there's some lower life form on mars i don't know and you know i don't even want to go to space oh i don't either i don't even like flying in airplanes that sounds Sounds terrible. terrible not fun no I don't like confined spaces. I like to be free and be able to breathe so air. Like maybe when they get like Xenon, girl of the 21st century kind of business <laughs> going on where you just go up there and then live just walk life. around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Once, once they get a movie theater there, maybe <laughs> count me in. I'm just thinking normal showers are the like bare minimum. Like Mm-mm. I can't be washing my hair and body with like stuff floating around. And have you seen them like shower? Yeah. The- yeah. That looks not great. Oh, like- I need, I need way more than that. I need luxurious items like movie theaters, mm. things to do. Um, popcorn. To do. Yeah. I need the luxuries of life. Indeed. <laughs> and then the final thing, Tupac. What's up with that? I don't really know. 
the, well, I mean, I just read this article out loud to you. So, so we know a little bit, but they, not a lot. Yeah, they served a warrant to somebody that was one of the witnesses to the drive-by shooting. And they took a bunch of seemingly random stuff, in my opinion. I don't really know how this is helpful, but um, they took, like, computer stuff and like vibe magazines and this man's book that he wrote and yeah stuff like that so i guess we'll see how that plays out if that helps identify more certainly who i'm curious to see what i mean maybe like the computer aspect of things i mean he was murdered what in 1996 Mm-hmm. So this was before like email and things like that were a thing. So maybe they're looking for correspondence that he's talk- talking about it in passing. I don't know because it wouldn't be anything evidence wise from a computer from back then. I wouldn't. You know what I mean? So. I mean, I, the, he doesn't surely have the computer he had in 1996. So no, no. did he? He probably didn't even have a computer in 1996. Probably not. I don't know. I don't know what what he's going to find there. I don't know what they got. I don't know what they were looking for necessarily either, but that's some movement in a case that has not had a lot of movement lately. I know it was the Toshiba. (laughs) (laughs) That was the computer. Well, we will see what comes of that eventually. And we will update you loosely because that's all we can do. Yes, we will. We we, uh, grab onto bits and pieces. Yeah. And feelings. Loosely. I mean, I both of us sent each other screenshots of articles that neither of us read because I did the same thing. <laughs> well, like, check this out. Like, yeah. We know what happens. We're terrible. But yeah. I mean, big, big things. Those are two big things. They are. Things are happening out here, guys. They are. All right. Shall we shall we move on to our topic today? Sure. That I also know nothing about. <laughs> yes, we can do that. <laughs> okay, get us started on this business. Okay, well, we're talking about Dean Arnold Coral, and he was born on Christmas Eve in 1939 in Fort Wayne, Indiana, to Mary Emma Robinson and Arnold Edwin Coral. Arnold was strict with his children, so, you know, strict dad, but not nothing was mentioned about like abuse or anything just that he was strict um whereas mary the mother was doting and protective of both of her sons and it was said that the couple was never really happy together they argued frequently and they eventually divorced in 1946 four years after the birth of their younger son stanley wayne Quarrel. Mary subsequently sold the family home and relocated to a trailer in Memphis, Tennessee. And the reason she did that was that Arnold had been drafted into the United States Air Force after the divorce. And she moved out there because that's where he was stationed. She wanted her sons to remain in contact with their father. Wow. That's a great mom. Yeah. Like these parents seem like normal, normal folk. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like, nothing crazy is going on. Not the typical, we could see this going downhill from the beginning. This seems pretty normal. Yeah. I just got to say, hold on, real quick, before we go any further, so I can get this out of my mind. Okay. 
when The Walking Dead happened and you know all those memes that were going on where it was like Carl (laughs) every time we say his name that's all I can picture Carl okay sorry continue out of your system now yes so dean was a a shy serious child he didn't play a whole lot with other kids but he did show empathy for other kids so he wasn't super social but he wasn't like a total weirdo at the age of seven he suffered an undiagnosed case of rheumatic fever and that wasn't recognized until doctors found that he had a heart murmur in 1950 and as a result of that diagnosis he was not allowed to do gym class in school so that's like I something guess. you have for a while then. It's not like you have a fever and then it's over. Yeah, I guess that means that it laid dormant. I don't know a whole lot about rheumatic fever, but they didn't realize that he had it until they noticed he had a heart murmur and then he was told to like chill out on gym. So not <laughs> to be too active, I guess. Okay. Dean's parents attempted to reconcile and remarried in 1950. Subsequently, moving to Pasadena, Texas, which was a suburb of Houston. However, the reconciliation was short-lived, and in 1953, the couple once again divorced, with Mary retaining custody of her two sons. The divorce was granted on amicable grounds, and both boys maintained regular contact with their father. Mary married a traveling clock salesman named Jake West. The family moved to the small town of Vidor, Texas, where Dean's half-sister, Joyce Janine, was born. Can you believe that there was traveling clock salesmen? (laughs) Like, right now, we get people that come up to the door to sell, like, those vacuums, uh, like, home security, or, like, to spray for stuff, like, Mm -hmm. insects. But, like, did people walk around selling, like, literally everything? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Because that's how, like, McDonald's milkshakes got started. They went door-to-door selling milkshake makers. Like, yeah, that is so weird. All I get is Jehovah Witnesses wanting me to come to their church. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Dean's mother and stepfather started a small family candy company called Pecan Prince. That's a cute name. Mm Mm-hmm. Initially operating from the garage of their home, from the earliest days of the business, Dean worked day and night while still attending school. He and his younger brother were responsible for running the candy making machines and packing the product, which his stepfather, right, which which his stepfather sold on his sales route. This route often involved traveling to Houston, where much of the product was sold. From 1954 to 1958, Dean attended Vador High School, where he was regarded as a well-behaved student who achieved satisfactory grades. As had been the case in his childhood, he was also considered somewhat of a loner, although he is known to have occasionally dated girls. So not like he's he's good. Yeah, like normal. Normal. Yeah. He had a job that he was forced to do. I mean, he. (laughs) in high school, his only major interest was the uh, brass band in which he played trombone. So he's got hobbies. Yeah. I mean. Like totally normal seeming, right? mm -hmm, Yeah. 
Well, Dean graduated from Vador High School in the summer of 1958, and from there, he and his family moved to the northern outskirts of Houston so that the family candy business could be closer to the city where they were selling the majority of their products. Dean's family opened a new shop, um, which they named Pecan Prince in reference to the brand name of the family product, so they were selling that and Mm -hmm. now they have a a storefront basically in 1960 at the request of his mother dean moved to indiana to live with his widowed grandmother and during this time dean formed a close relationship with a girl although he rejected a subsequent marriage proposal she made to him in 62 that's unheard of for like the time in the 60s Yeah. yeah Dean lived in Indiana for almost two years, but returned to Houston in 1962 to help with that family candy business, which by this time had moved to Houston Heights. He later moved into an apartment of his own above the shop. Dean's mom divorced Dean's stepdad in 1963 and opened a new candy business, Oh, which, which she named coral candy company her eldest son was appointed vice president of the new family firm with his younger brother stanley being appointed secretary treasurer that's adorable (laughs) it is right the same year one of the teenage male employees of coral candy company complained to dean's mother that her son had made sexual advances toward him and in response she fired him not, Dang. not her son. Of course she fired not. the teenage boy. Well, I mean, you can't expect to go to the coral candy company asking to fire a coral. I guess not. <laughs> Even though you should, you know. Yes, definitely. Or, I mean, yeah, it's inappropriate regardless. I was going to say, you could make sexual advances on somebody, but like... Maybe he didn't need to be fired, but just say, like, hey, don't do that with employees. <laughs> right. No means no, buddy. Makes people uncomfortable. <laughs> Dean was drafted into the United States Army on August 10th, 1964, and assigned to Fort Polk, Louisiana for basic training. He was later assigned to Fort Benning, Georgia, to train as a radio repairman before his permanent assignment to Fort Hood, Texas. According to official military records, Dean's period of service in the Army was unblemished, so he was perfect in the Army. Dean, however, reportedly hated it. He applied for a hardship discharge on the grounds that he was needed in his family's business. The Army granted his request, and he was given an honorable discharge on June 11, 1965, after 10 months of service. He didn't last very long. No, he did not. And I didn't most... know you could just be like, my family's business needs me. Yeah, one. Well, and how long is basic training? I mean, I feel like you're training for a while. Yeah. Huh. They pretty much, they like pretty much trained him and he left. <laughs> yeah. Uh, reportedly, Dean divulged to some of his close acquaintances after his release from the army that it was during uh, his time of service that he had first realized that he was homosexual and had experienced his first homosexual encounters. 
People notice subtle changes in Dean's mannerisms when in the company of teenage males after he had completed his service and returned to Houston, which led to talk that he may be gay. Now, let's just put this little nugget out there. And now it is way more acceptable to be gay than it was in the 60s. Right. But the difference is that it's never okay to be gay with children. No. If you are an adult. Period. That will always be an issue forever. Forever. <laughs> forever and ever. Any any um, sexual anything with children. Always going to be a problem. And I feel like sometimes they, and I'm using they, but, you know, they use it as like, it's because I'm gay. No, it's because you're trying to have sex with children. That is the problem. You are a pedophile. Well, I've noticed that there is like actually a lot considering like the population of gay men just, you know, out in the world versus gay men that have like murdered people like serial killers and then just men in general and like not men in general heterosexual men and serial killers like the the numbers are off right Mm -hmm. does that make sense like Mm -hmm. i feel like because so many men were like suppressed Mm -hmm. we made a bunch of freaking serial killers (laughs) Well, and, I'm and not saying I, they weren't going to be, but I just think that that is like a, a pretty big contributing factor that a lot of these people felt sexually oppressed, couldn't be themselves out in the world. Right. And then, you know, bad stuff happened. That also could come into play with the uh, having their sights set on children as well, because they in their mind because society is like telling people, them like pedophiles no i would say in gay men the, the gay men who go after pedophile go after children in what in this saying? instance i'm saying i'm not giving them a pass i am saying i'm confused <laughs> that okay so in the 60s yes as a gay man yes. that is not out in the open Okay. I could see where you might look to a younger person over an adult because they are more impressionable. Correct. And then you wouldn't have to explain or try to find another gay man. You could kind of groom them to be, you know, who you need them to be, which is not a pass or anything like that. But I I could I could see that side of it i guess it still doesn't make it right and it's wrong forever and ever and ever but Mm -hmm. i do see that side of it i guess i mean i think that's probably just one of the occurrences of oppressing people correct that's what i was trying to link the oppression okay because i was having a real hard time understanding (laughs) where you were going with that (laughs) that's what i was linking the oppression Okay. Well, yes. And I just, I, like I was saying before, I've just noticed that it seems like a lot of these serial killers were gay men that mm-hmm. had to hide. Right. Um, And then completely went off the MF and rails over here. Right. So, yeah. Um, Coral Candy Company 
is where he went following his honorable discharge, which is where he better go since that's why they let him go. So he returned to Houston Heights and resumed the position that he held as vice president. And his former stepfather had retained ownership of the family's former candy business, Pecan Prince, following that divorce. So Dean's mom and his stepdad basically had dueling candy companies in Houston. And I guess the competition was pretty fierce. And that had been ongoing for a little while. So Dean increased the number of hours that he spent at the candy business because he had to, to ensure the superiority of Coral Candy Company. And in 1965, the company relocated to 22nd Street, which was directly across from Helms Elementary School. And it was at this time that Dean was known to give free candy to the local children, in particular teenage boys. And as a result of this, he earned himself the nickname Candyman and the Pied Piper, which is like super creep. That's so creepy. Like, I don't know if that part's made up or what. Like, maybe this person is mistaken. Because, like, calling somebody the Candyman, that's one thing. Calling them the Pied Piper, I mean, that would make sense, like, after the fact, I guess. But, like, I don't know. That was weird. I don't know if that's accurate. Because it's got me questioning. Yeah, that's not good. I don't know. I mean, the Candyman is very just straight to the point. He was the Candyman. I mean, Pied Piper lures children with candy. Their homes. I mean, candy with his pipe. (laughs) But but in this case, it was with candy. Yeah, so that's just weird. But it's not wrong. No, they weren't wrong. It's just not okay to call somebody that before they're luring children. The company employed a pretty small workforce, and Dean was said to have been seen flirting with a lot of the teenage male employees, which is really what most of the people that worked there were. Um, Dean was also known to have installed a pool table at the rear of the candy factory where employees and some other local kids would congregate. So he kind of set up a scene where he would have like some younger, younger people hanging out. Got a pretty sweet setup. Well, yeah. Candy, a freaking pool table. Man. Yeah. And this is where things start to turn. Oh, great. I can't wait. Are you ready? You know what? We forgot to announce at the beginning of this episode. What? That this is a two parter. Oh, this is going to be a two part. Yes, it is. Um, Okay, so here we go. In 1967, Dean, who was 28, got a little friendly with a 12-year-old boy named David Owen Brooks. Then a kid who was in sixth grade that had, what, spectacles? Yeah, he wore glasses. What? Okay. He's just... It's just a glasses wearing sixth grade kid out of all these kids that didn't have glasses. Well, Dean would give free candy to. He picked this 12 year old to really get close with. Okay, David. He liked him a lot. David initially became one of Dean's many close companions that was young. 
regularly socializing with Dean and various teenage boys who congregated at the rear of that candy factory where he set up that that pool table, right? He also joined Dean on the regular trips he took to South Texas beaches. Nope. In the company of uh, various kids and later commented that Dean was the first adult male who did not mock his appearance. So, okay, that's why the spectacles are important. Yeah. Because he has low self-esteem. He's just like a little dorky baby. (sighs) As somebody who had glasses, I can honestly say I was never like, I don't know. I don't think I ever got made fun of about my glasses. And I probably should have because they were rough there for a while. They were a little Coke bottle-y for a They were were terrible. I mean, it's fine, but... (laughs) I mean, I owned them, but, uh, you know. Do you know what, Allie? I'll tell you right now. Like, I feel like you are so funny and so witty that even if somebody tried to make fun of you, you would... I don't know if this happened or not, but I could very easily see somebody trying to make fun of you and you turning it around and making them cry. And like everybody that saw that happen was like, fun of that girl. Man, I don't know. I just I don't remember that ever. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't remember anybody saying anything about your glasses either, ever. Me neither. And I don't remember ever thinking anything about your glasses. (laughs) I remember looking back at pictures and being like, what was I doing? What happened? Why did nobody tell me? Was that in like (laughs) sixth grade? Because (laughs) they were terrible. (laughs) Literally everybody looked like crap in sixth grade. So I don't know. Man, rough. Anyway, so that sucks that he feels that way because nobody should. Everybody's got glasses and it's fine. Yeah, Uh, but he chose him because of that. So whenever David told Dean he needed cash, Dean gave him money and the kid began to view Dean as kind of a father figure. Upon Dean's urging, a sexual relationship gradually developed between the two, which essentially, I mean, if he's given him money uh, is like a prostitute. Yeah. Beginning in 1969, Dean paid David in cash or with gifts, okay, to allow him to perform fellatio on him. So, when he was 14. Wow. David's Dean was 30. Oh, God. That just, and that sucks. Because, you know, like, that could be a father figure type situation. But as a parent, you have to be so high alert to anything. Like... Oh, yeah. Like any adult that is shows any sort of interest in your child, even if they're like trying to be a mentor or something. Yeah. Yeah. It sucks that we have to be like that. It's like the Boys and Girls Club. Like, it sucks for everybody. It sucks for anybody that wants to mentor kids. It sucks Mm -hmm. for parents that have to be like visual, so like vigilant to make sure nothing happens. Like, yeah. I don't know. But apparently, David's parents were not concerned about dean no obviously not especially if they're letting him take him on trips Mm -hmm. and things like that but i'm sure you know there's safety you would assume in numbers and there was several kids that went so yeah i mean i'm sure it's it's kind of like a camp essentially they felt figured but okay david's parents were divorced his father lived in houston and his mother had relocated to 
Beaumont, a city 85 miles east of Houston. In 1970, when he was 15, David dropped out of Waltrip High School and moved to Bo- is it Beaumont to live Beaumont. with his mother. Yeah. Whenever he visited his father in Houston, he also visited Dean, who allowed him to stay at his apartment if he, if he wished. No. Later that same year, David moved back to Houston. By his own later admission, David began regarding Dean's apartment as his second home. Ew. Mm -hmm. By the time David dropped out of high school, Dean's mother and his half-sister Joyce had moved to Colorado after the failure of her third marriage and the closure of Coral Candy Company in June 1968. Although she often talked to her eldest son on the phone, his mother never saw him again. Hmm. That's weird. Yeah. So she was in Colorado and I guess they just didn't travel to visit. Hmm. That's weird to run a company with your mom and then never see her again. Well, he never sees her again for a reason. Okay. But I mean, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a time. So that was like 1968. Everything wraps up in a few years, but yeah, I mean, it's a stretch of time where he doesn't see them. It's probably, I mean, honestly, when you think about it, it's probably due to like money and yeah. I mean, able to travel to visit. Yeah. If your company closes, I'm sure you're not rolling in the dough to be able to make Mm -hmm. trips. Mm -hmm. Following the closure of the candy company, Dean took a job as an electrician at the Houston Lighting and Power Company, HLNP. Like DPNL. Yep. Those people. Right. That's anybody that works there. It's not your freaking freaking vultures, man. (laughs) Right. Do I'll talk to you about this later. Anyways, I was about to start start talking about DPNL some more. <laughs> I'm sure our listeners would love to hear that. Yeah. All right. So Dean killed his first known victim, an 18-year-old college freshman named Jeffrey Conan, on September 25th, 1970. Jeffrey vanished while hitchhiking with another student from the University of Texas. And he was going to his parents' home in Houston. He was dropped off at a corner um, in the uptown area of Houston at approximately 6.15 p.m. And it was at this time that Dean likely, I mean, we don't know for sure, offered Jeffrey a ride to his house, which Jeffrey evidently said, okay, cool, thank you, to. About the time of Jeffrey's murder, David interrupted dean in the act of sexually assaulting two teenage boys whom dean had strapped to a four-poster bed holy obviously it wasn't exactly the same time but it was around the same time frame that this this occurred dean promised david a car in return for his silence wow and david said okay what dean later bought him a green chevy corvette holy that's a nice car i know right dean later told david that he had killed two boys that david had walked in on and offered him two hundred dollars which is the equivalent of about fifteen hundred dollars in today's money for any boy that he could lure to dean's apartment so okay yeah. wow yeah yeah unpack that 
Okay. So first off, I have a, a question, just your thoughts on the matter. So this occurred about two years after the candy company closed. Yeah. Do you think that if the candy company had not closed and he was still in that, that this would have occurred? Or do you think, do you think he like the, you know, idle hands are the devil's play thing and he's not around young teenage yeah. boys anymore right i don't know i mean it's hard to say because it seems like having access to being around all those teenage boys may have like placated him for a while but i don't think that was going to be a long-term thing if this was where he went after having that cut off after a couple of years you know just it escalated it would have escalated regardless Eventually. anyways i kind of think so probably and David must have meant quite a bit to him if he was, you know, if obviously he killed those other two boys, but he's willing to pay him off with a freaking Chevy Corvette and mm -hmm. then use him Offer to facilitate him more. Yeah. And must da David. That means that he must have, like, trusted him. They must have had, like, a pretty serious relationship. And I don't know. Because he could have, like, just not told him that he killed the boys and was just like, oh, yeah, we were doing some stuff and left it at, okay, maybe he assaulted them and then he let them go and then there's that. But then he just straight up was like, yeah, I murdered those I bros. Them. You want to bring me? No, not girls, boys. Bros. Oh, I, I thought said. you said girls murdered no. those girls. I was like, no, they weren't They weren't girls. <laughs> yeah. They were, they were boys. And um, then offered him $200 to bring him more boys. And he's like, okay. Yeah. He is like, okay. God. Well, he yeah. obviously is like, well, he made good on his car, car promise. Car promise. Yeah. Well, I'm sure he knew he was serious, but I don't know. Can you imagine? Mm-mm. Because it, I don't, I mean, first of all, I would be afraid that he's going to kill me. Exactly. Always. Always. After that, 100%. And I'd be like, I have got to get away from this guy. <laughs> well, and even really? if, even if you, okay, took the car and then you said, okay, on him offering you the $200, you would never bring anyone back because you would know that that would be their fate. Like, even if you were worried about him possibly murdering you, I don't know. Or maybe that was it. Sacrificing somebody else so that you would stay alive because that could be you if he didn't get his fix. I don't know. That's what a wild thing to think about. Well, and then too, just back this up a little bit. How old are you thinking David is in your head right now? So what is he 16 now? 15 or 16. Yeah. I mean, he's oh. old enough to know better. I feel like. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's old enough to know better. He's old enough to know what he should have done with this information. Like, either you got it or you don't on that front. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. By that time. But but still, like, I, I don't know. I, while doing these notes, had a hard time remembering, like, how old people were, really. Because he's, you know, an adult, 30-something. And then David's only, like, 15 or 16, but he's been grooming David since he was 12. Years. Yeah, for years. 
to the point where David looks at Dean like he's a father figure. So, like, there's got to be some weird psychological things going mm-hmm. on in that relationship for for him to be able to do that, get caught, and that be the outcome of that situation. So, yeah. yeah. Yikes. It doesn't get any better from here, just FYI. <laughs> awesome. Okay, let's let's move on. December 13th, 1970. Oh, David. He lured two 14-year-old boys named James Glass and Danny Yates away from a religious rally held in Houston Heights to Dean's Yorktown apartment. Glass was an acquaintance of David, so he knew him. Yeah. He knew what he was doing, um, who at David's behest had previously visited Dean's address. So he probably felt safe. Mm -hmm. Both of the kids were tied to opposite sides of Dean's torture board and subsequently raped, strangled, and buried in a boat shed he had rented on November 17th. An electrical cord with alligator clips attached to each end was buried alongside Danny's body. Wow. That's just another like notch up on the depravity board when you freaking knew this kid. Yeah. Like you not the last time that that happens either. You can remove yourself a little bit easier if you have no idea. No, don't know this person at all. Yeah, wow. for sure. And Two, we're going to be talking about like all these addresses where Dean moves to. Like he moves around a lot during this situation, but all of them are in the same little area. Okay, so close. Houston Houston Heights is like a neighborhood type thing, and it's all in Houston Heights pretty much. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Six weeks after the double murder of James and Danny on January 30th, 1971, David and Dean encountered two teenage boys, Donald and Jerry Waldrop, walking toward their parents' home. The Waldrop brothers had been driven to a friend's home by their father with plans to discuss forming a bowling league and had begun walking home after learning their friend was not at home. Both boys were enticed into Dean's van and driven to an apartment Dean had rented on Magnum Road, where they were both raped, strangled, and subsequently buried in the boat shed. So he's just stacking them up. Yeah, in this boat shed. Oh, God. Between March and May of 1971, Dean abducted and killed three other people, all of whom lived in Houston Heights and all of whom were buried toward the rear of the rented boat shed. In each of the abductions, David is known to have been a participant. Of course, Dean would want him to be a participant because then he's really not going to squeal. Yeah. One of the three victims was 15-year-old Randall Harvey, and he was last seen by his family on the afternoon of March 9th, and he was going towards Oak Forest where he worked part-time as a gas station attendant. Randall was driven to Dean's magnum road apartment where he was subsequently killed by a single gunshot to the head the other two victims were 13 year old david hillegeist and 16 year old gregory mally winkle and they were abducted and killed together on the afternoon of may 29th 1971 now 
as had been the case with some of these other parents of the victims of Dean, both sets of parents for David and Gregory, they really launched a search for their sons. One of the kids voluntarily or who voluntarily offered to distribute posters, the parents had printed that offered a monetary um, reward for anybody that gave them information leading to the boys' whereabouts. This kid that offered to do that was 15-year-old Elmer Wayne Henley, and he was a lifelong friend of Hillegeist. So one of these victims. Elmer pinned the reward posters around the Heights and attempted to reassure Hillegeist's parents that there might be an innocent explanation for the boy's absence. So he was pretty involved in one of these boys' disappearances. And that's going to come up in a minute. <laughs> Okay. On August 17th, 1971, Dean and David encountered a 17-year-old acquaintance of David named Reuben Watson Haney walking home from a movie theater in Houston. David persuaded Haney to attend a party at an address Dean had moved to on San Felipe Street that previous month. Haney agreed and was taken to Dean's home where he was strangled and buried in the boat shed. In September 1971, so not even a month later, Dean moved to another apartment in the Heights, 915 Columbia Street. David later stated he had assisted Dean in the abduction and murder of two boys during the time Dean resided at this address, including one boy who was killed just before Wayne Henley came into the picture. That was a quote in his confession. David stated the boy killed immediately prior to Henley's involvement in the murders was abducted from the Heights and kept alive for approximately four days before his murder. The identities of both of these victims remain unknown. Jeez. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, that's different though. Like keeping them alive. Mm hmm. That's, That's almost worse. Had. Like, and it, I know. I think it is too. Like, if you're gonna get murdered, obviously you want to die faster. Yeah. I mean, it gives people a chance to escape, but it also gives you all this pro. Like, if you're the murderer, all this like prolonged time to be a total creep and be awful, and it's all this time that this person's alive that's like scared for their life. I don't know. That's just yeah. It's an extra layer of messed up. And for the families, too. Like, you never want to hear that your loved one suffered. Mm -hmm. And if they were alive for four days, you know that they suffered mm -hmm. for a long time. Yeah, it's really sad. So in the winter of 1971, David introduced Elmer to Dean. Elmer likely was lured to Dean's address as an intended victim. However, Dean evidently decided that he would make a really good accomplice and offered him the same fee of $200 for any boy that he could lure to his apartment, informing him that he was involved in a white slavery ring operating from Dallas. So just keep that in your mind because we're going to talk about that. Not today, but for the next episode. That now, he told him that he was involved in a white slavery ring. Now, how do we know how old Elmer is? Did we state that? Is he about the same age as David? Actually, do we yeah. know? He was 15. So okay. Yes. Yeah. 
Elmer later stated that for several months, he ignored Dean's offer. Which to me tells me like he had several months to go and mm-hmm. tell somebody. Right. That this creepy ass old man offered him $200 to lure his friends over to his house. Mm-hmm. But he did not do that. He did maintain an acquaintance with Dean and gradually began to view him as something of a brother type person. So again, he has like made some relationship with these people. Elmer admired his work ethic and he considered him somebody that he could confide in. His work ethic of luring boys to their deaths. Like this is what we want to aspire to be. I don't know. I don't know if he's talking about his electrician stuff or like what? I don't know, but it's huh. not good. Whatever it is, whatever work ethic he's talking about, <laughs> I, I don't re- like it. I really like how uh, quickly he murders boys. That's uh, that's something to admire. Messed up. In early 1972, he decided to accept Dean's offer because he and his family were in some real dire financial circumstances. So he said the first abduction he participated in occurred during the time Dean resided at 925 Schuler Street, which is an address he moved to in February in 1972. So this guy is moving every couple months. Why is that? Because he's murdering people in them and then he thinks that that... No, but you know what? If that is why, like, think about it. Because I did think that same thing. And I was thinking about Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh-huh. And how his neighbor is like, this guy is effing up to something. Yeah. Somebody go check this out. But if, like, one thing happens and then the person leaves. Right. You don't think about not it. doing anything. So I don't know if that's why he's moving so much. But if he, if it is, that makes sense. What kind of leases is this guy signing? I don't know. These must be like real, One... like lower income apartments, mm-hmm. I'm assuming. So maybe you're only sign. maybe you're not signing a lease at all. Maybe you're paying month to month right up front. I don't know. I don't know the situation. I don't know what these apartments look like. I don't know any of it. Right. But I don't know how you move like that, man. He must just have a suitcase. He must because, man, moving sucks. I'm never moving again. I tell you that. I'm never moving again either unless I win the lottery. Right. Unless I can pay somebody to move me. Like. (laughs) Right. And the the new house better be really freaking cool. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) No. It's awful. But yeah, he's moving every 10 seconds. So I don't know. David later claimed that Elmer became involved in abductions while Dean was residing at the address right before. So they had some conflicting statements on when he really became involved. Could you blame him, though, if he moves 15 times in a month? I mean, who knows where this guy was living at the time? So if we go with what Elmer said, the victim was abducted from the Heights in February or early March 1972, and in the statement that Elmer gave to police following his arrest, he stated he and Dean picked up a boy at the corner of 11th and Studewood and lured him to Dean's house on the promise of smoking weed with the pair. At Dean's residence, using a ruse he and Dean had like pre-prepared, Elmer cuffed his own hands behind his back freed himself with a key hidden in his back pocket and then tricked the boy into putting the handcuffs on himself. And then Dean 
bound and gagged him. That's a John Wayne Gacy move, man. Yeah. Ugh, I don't like that. Then Elmer just left the boy alone with Dean, believing he was going to be sold into this sexual slavery ring that he had told Elmer he was involved in. The identity of this first victim that Elmer assisted with is is unknown. They don't know who he is still. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. That would just eat you. Like, they find people, but then they also, like, bring in people they know. And why? This is a short span of time, and this is a lot of teenage boys. And Mm -hmm. I don't really know what was going on here like where are the police well they're not we're going to talk about the police investigation later but like as far as i know which i haven't done those notes yet so i actually don't super know but as far as i know they're not like there is a teenage serial killer like boy serial killer out here keep your kids at home you would think though a lot of times like when stuff like this happens the parents are the ones that are like throwing a fit and especially if there are that many, but maybe if the some of them are unknown, nobody's them looking them for unknown. them. Some of them are like older, like 18 or 19. Mm-hmm. And some of them, I mean, they're they are also teenage boys. And I think this is a lower income place. So maybe they think some of them ran off. I don't know. But still, this is a lot. This is a lot of people already. And it, there's still a lot more man this is wild how have i never heard of this i don't know i haven't either though um one month later on march 24th 1972 elmer david and dean encountered an 18 year old acquaintance of elmer's named frank aguira leaving a restaurant on yale street where he worked elmer called frank over to dean's van and invited him to drink beer and smoke weed with the trio at dean's apartment he agreed and followed the trio to Dean's home in his Rambler. I mean, why wouldn't you? You know, yeah. like, you know this kid. Why not? Yeah, you'd be like, okay, sounds like a good time. See you over there. And he's 18, just got off work. Why not? Inside Dean's house, Frank smoked some weed with the trio before picking up a pair of handcuffs Dean had left on his table. In response, Dean pounced on Frank, pushed him onto the table, and cuffed his hands behind his back. Elmer later claimed that he had not known of Dean's true intentions towards Frank when he had persuaded his friend to accompany him to Dean's home. Um, how did you not know? Because they didn't talk about it beforehand. I guess they were just out and he was like, hey, there's my friend. Like, hey, you want to come smoke some weed? I mean, this would be like you grabbing like one of your friends that you were not intending to bring over and sell to this slavery ring. Okay, but, but you, I would not bring any of my friends. I wouldn't bring anybody over either. It is not a safe space. No. In so, a, yeah, he's obviously geez. dumb AF, but I think he truly didn't think that was going to happen. In a 2010 interview, he claimed to have attempted to persuade Dean not to assault and kill Frank once Dean and David had bound and gagged him. However, Dean refused informing Elmer that he had raped, tortured, and killed the previous victim he had assisted in abducting and that he intended to do the same thing to Frank. Elmer subsequently assisted Dean and David in Frank's burial at High Island Beach. So, like, sorry, dude, you're dead, so I'm going to help bury you? No! 
oh my God, these people are idiots. Um, despite the revelations that Dean was in reality killing the boys he and David had assisted in abducting, Elmer nonetheless became an active participant in the abductions and the murders. One oh, month later, where did this guy get these kids. Right? No. Like what the fuck? Right? I don't know. How I wonder what his what's happen? his face look like. I need to know what Elmer looks like. Why? I need to know, cause that matters. You think he, f- he looks really stupid. I want to know what all these people look like. Do they have faces that people just like flock to that look like they're safe? I mean, he looks normal. Would you take candy from him? I wouldn't take candy from nobody except for my mom and my husband <laughs> and me. And you but he looks normal he doesn't look like totally well now i'm seeing a couple pictures where his eyes are all like yeah you know, mm-hmm. like crazy eyes yeah so, i don't know i don't know but but in general he looks like a normal person and so did so does um what's his face dean? david dean well i don't know about david i didn't look him up either but dean dean does look like a normal human being yeah he he actually is like a handsome man photos pretty attractive yeah like he looks Mm. like a good looking dude that's why you can't trust looks man heck no one month later on april 20th he assisted dean and david in the abduction of another boy a 17 year old named mark scott mark who is well known to both elmer and david was grabbed by force so it wasn't like a friendly hey come over it was he was grabbed Um, And he fought furiously against attempts by Dean to restrain him, even attempting to stab his attackers with a knife. You go, boy. Mm -hmm. Get it. However, Mark saw Elmer pointing a pistol towards him. And according to David, Mark just gave up. I would just shoot me. Just I'm going to go out swinging. Just shoot me. Mm -hmm. But he probably didn't know if they were trying to rob him or like whatever. Uh, So I get it. Yeah. He was tied to the torture board and suffered the same fate as Frank rape, torture, strangulation, and burial at High Island Beach. Yeah. David later said that Elmer was especially sadistic in his participation in the murders committed at that Shuler Street apartment. And Elmer later admitted to gradually becoming fascinated with, quote, how much stamina people have when they're being murdered. What? That's weird. That is a weird statement. Before Dean vacated the address on June 26th, Elmer assisted Dean and David in the abduction and murder of two other boys named Billy Bolt and Johnny DeLome. In David's confession, he stated that both boys were tied to Dean's bed and after their torture and rape, Elmer manually strangled Billy, then shouted, hey johnny and shot johnny in the forehead with that bullet exiting the boy's ear that's johnny no and he was then pleading for elmer to let him go before he was strangled both of those boys were buried at high island beach how big is this freaking shed man this the high island beach is a different area oh okay shed Okay, but, but they 
it's like they pick two spots now and that that's where they get rid of between those two victims that they have yeah it's between the two now at this point during the time that dean resided at shuler street the trio lured a 19 year old named william riddinger to the house he was tied to that plywood board tortured and abused by dean david later claimed he persuaded dean to allow william to be released and he was allowed to leave the residence wow why i don't know and then like what happened right i'm gonna specifically look that up for next episode because like where did that guy go not to the cops obviously why didn't everything stop right then and there why did he let him go very strange that is strange situation on another occasion during the time that dean was at that apartment elmer knocked david unconscious as he entered the house dean then tied david to his bed and assaulted him repeatedly before releasing him Despite that assault, David still continued to assist Dean in the abduction of the victims. Oh, I bet he thought he was dead. But why would you keep helping after that? I have no idea. Because he probably thought he was, like, safe from that happening to him. And then it happened to him and he still, like, decided to stick around. Right. And why would he do that to David? Why wouldn't he do that to Elmer? I don't, well, I don't know. Elmer wasn't unconscious. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. But I don't know if that was like premeditated. I mean, I'm assuming it was because like how do you accidentally knock somebody unconscious? But you would feel though that like because David and Dean have such a close, it seems, relationship that Dean would be pissed at Elmer because he did that to David. Did you know what I mean? David. Not Elmer knocked David unconscious. I think he did that for Dean. Oh, Dean told him to do that? I think so, because right after that, Dean then tied him up and assaulted him. Oh, dang. I so read that like sure. that was a planned attack. Yeah. And wouldn't Elmer be like, okay, when's that going to happen to me? I mean, I would be thinking that, but this guy's obviously an idiot. (laughs) He is the biggest friggin' idiot. All of them are. Yeah, run. What are you doing? It's not like he's got them, like, tied up in his basement. They are literally out living their lives with Mm -hmm. the knowledge that this is going on and with the intent of bringing other people there. And they, at any point in time, could be like, Hey, cops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They know where all the bodies are. They have evidence. But they participated and they were doing stuff. So maybe that's why they were got like immediately too afraid to do anything. But at minimum, even if you didn't, like even if you didn't tell the cops, wouldn't you just like freaking run away from that situation? Oh, yeah, I'd be gone. They should have enough money by now with all the money that... David should be paying them to be able to like you mean flee. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, David and Dean, those are too close too together. Close, too yes. 
Yeah. Yes. By how much money Dean, if he's still even paying them, I would assume there had to have been some reason for them to continue. Yeah, I think he is. I think he paid, as far as I know, he paid them for all of this. So, and he's and he's getting all this money just from being an electrician. I mean, I know that electricians make pretty decent money, but dang. Yeah. Especially at the rate that they're going. Holy. Mm hmm. All right. After vacating the Schuler res- uh, Street residence, Dean moved to an apartment at Westcott Towers, where in the summer of 1972, he is known to have killed a f- uh, further two victims. The first of these victims, 17-year-old Stephen Sickman, was last seen leaving a party held in the Heights shortly before midnight on July 19th. He was savagely bludgeoned about the chest with a blunt instrument before he was strangled and buried in the boat shed. Approximately one month later, on or around August 21st, a 19-year-old named Roy Button Bunton was abducted while walking to his job as an assistant in a Houston shoe store. Roy was gagged with a section of Turkish towel and his mouth bound with adhesive tape. He was shot twice in the head and buried in the boat shed. Neither boy was named by either David or Elmer as being a victim of Dean, and both were identified as victims only in 2011. So, wow, that was that later, but yeah, that was a while. Mm-hmm. Um, on October 3rd, 1972, Elmer and David encountered two Heights teenagers named Wally J. Samoa. I don't even know. I don't even know how to say this. Samonics and Richard Hembry walking to Hembry's home. Jay and Richard were enticed into David's Corvette and driven to Dean's Westcott Tower apartment. That evening, Jay is known to have phoned his mom at home and to have shouted the word mama oh, into the receiver before the connection was terminated. Oh my God, oh my that would God. haunt you. That would haunt you forever. I know. The following morning. That is. Uh, The following morning, Richard was accidentally shot in the mouth by Elmer with a bullet exiting through his neck. Several hours later, both boys were strangled to death and were buried in a common grave inside the boat shed directly above the bodies of James Glass and Danny Yates. Sometime the following month, an 18-year-old Oak Forest boy known to both Dean and Elmer named Willard Branch disappeared while hitchhiking from Mount Pleasant to Houston. His gagged and emasculated body was buried in the boat shed. On November 15th, a 19-year-old Spring Branch boy named Richard Kepner disappeared on his way to a phone booth. Richard was strangled and buried at High Island Beach. Altogether, at least 10 teenagers between the ages of 13 and 19 were murdered between February and November of 1972. That is insane. Five of whom were buried at High Island Beach and five inside the boat shed. That's not terrible. That's crazy. Um, on January 20th, 1973, Dean moved to an address on Wirt Road in the Spring Branch District of Houston. Within two weeks of moving into this address, he had killed 17-year-old Joseph Lyles. Joseph was known to both Dean and David. He had lived on Antony Drive, the same street upon which David lived in 1973. On March 1st, Dean vacated his Wirt 
Road apartment. He briefly resided in an apartment on South Post Oak Road before moving to 2020 Lamar Drive, an address his father had vacated in Pasadena. That, that is just crazy. Mm-hmm. There are so many bodies. Yeah. Everywhere. And like, how? <laughs> right. I hadn't even thought about this, but at this point, like, how often are they transporting people's bodies to these places to, like, get rid of them? How is nobody noticing? And I couldn't imagine, even if the boat shed and the other place, like, there has to be a crazy smell. Coming out that boat shed for sure. Yeah, because I'm sure it's tin and it gets, you know, it's hot. And I don't even know what a boat shed is. Do you know what a boat shed is? Is it just a shed? Like a big shed? just, Just a shed, yeah, that you put boats in. And I'm, I'm thinking of like a shanty for like a fishing boat it could be something much larger i don't know but i'm i don't i'm assuming with what they're using it for it's something inconspicuous and small mm-hmm. i'm i'm picturing something that is like far away from everybody else with mm-hmm. like some woods around it and some like water i would assume not necessarily. I mean, like, think of Norris Lake. Is this where, oh my freaking God, dude, it is like your guys' boat shed in Norris Lake. Yeah. I just looked up a picture of it, and it's like where we would pick up your boat in Norris Lake. Yeah. How did nobody notice that? Yeah, but somebody somewhere would be passing by that. And be with like, your OMG. And with your windows that- down. Like driving by and Jesus, coming in and out all the time. Mm-hmm. How did nobody see this? I was literally picturing a shanty shed, like you were talking about, out in the middle of nowhere by itself, not like a big aluminum boat shed where everybody keeps like multiple people keep their boats. And it oh, so it is. Multiple- yes, it looks like. A multiple. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys always kept your boat at the place we picked it up. The time I remember picking it up. <laughs> right. I know what I know what you're thinking of, but yeah, but it looks exactly like that. The gravel with uh-huh. grass growing everywhere, and like the big aluminum. That it looks exactly the same. So like, yeah. what the Some, heck? Somebody smelled something. Guaranteed. That's crazy. All right. So he's moved over to 2020 Lamar Drive. There were no known victims killed between February and June 4th, 1973. Dean is known to have suffered from a hydrocell, which I looked that up. And oh my goodness, my notes got messed up for me adding it in there. So I really don't know what's going on here. But it's basically like a sack that gets fluid in it. Good. I'm glad. Suffer. And... I think just from looking at, like, looking it up, one of the most common places is on your balls. Yes. Get it. And, yeah. So, I guess that is what happened to him. Which makes sense if he's raping everybody. He doesn't want to be doing it with no hydrocell on his balls. Yeah, for sure. And I'm assuming that's, like, somewhat painful. I don't really know for sure. But... 
that is what sorry my notes are really messed up here I don't know what happened (laughs) really jumbled so I'm trying to figure out what this says but I mean that contributed to why they think there was this period of inactivity and also at the time of um Joseph Lyle's murder Elmer had temporarily moved away to Mount Pleasant and that was apparently in an effort to get some distance between himself and Dean so that may be why things like lulled there but in June, Dean's rate of killings increased dramatically. So he had taken this long break and then it really like ramped up. And both Elmer and David later testified to this increase and said that it was just the level of brutality was like out of this world during that time. Elmer later compared the acceleration and the frequency of killings and the increase in brutality Um as basically saying that he had some kind of bloodlust towards his victims, adding that he and David would instinctively know when Dean was going to say, I need a new boy, like you need to bring me a new boy, because he would appear restless, he would be smoking a bunch of cigarettes and making reflexive movements, which that creeps me out. Like what? Like an OCD, like tappy jobby or like... It makes me think of somebody that's like going through withdrawals. Yeah. like twitching kind of things i don't mm-hmm. know because it's not like i have a video of this but that's what i imagine when they say making reflex movements on june 4th elmer and dean abducted 15 year old william ray lawrence after three days of abuse and torture william was strangled before being buried at lake sam rayburn this is a new place new place yes less than two weeks later 20 year old raymond stanley blackburn was abducted strangled and buried at lake sam rayburn also did he have a boat not that i know of okay on july 6 1973 elmer began attending classes at the coaches driving school in bel-air where he became acquainted with 15 year old homer lewis garcia the following day homer telephoned his mom to say he was spending the night with a friend He was shot and left to bleed to death in Dean's bathtub before he was buried at Lake Sam Rayburn. Five days later, on July 12th, um, 17-year-old John Sellers of Orange County was bound, shot to death, and buried at High Island Beach. In July 1973, after David... Wait a minute. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I'm about to drop a bomb for y'all. He married his pregnant fiance. So not only does he have time to kill 15,000 million children, he also has time to impregnate someone and have a fiance on the side. This is David, not Dean. Damn it. This is David, who is definitely involved in killing people. Why do I get them confused? I'm getting them confused. I don't know. But even still, that blew my mind. I'm like, this guy is out here doing all this stuff. Why can't we call him Steve? So there's a separation. D and D. Not his name. <laughs> okay, so this is a little better, but still, it blows my mind. David is still luring children to the lion's den, and he it has, has time been for for a long time. So he's about to have a child yeah. that could potentially be a boy that is then lured. To this yeah. man who kills boys. 
Anyway, he gets married to his pregnant fiance. Elmer temporarily became Dean's sole procurer of victims. So he's top dog now. Mm-hmm. And he's assisting in the abductions and murder of three Heights kids between July 19th and the 25th. Elmer claimed that these three abductions were the only three that occurred after his becoming an accomplice to Dean in which David was not participating. One of these three victims, 15-year-old Michael Balk, brother brother of yeah. previous victim Billy Balk, God, this is like freaking Jeffrey Dahmer. It's terrible. That <clears throat> reminds me of like war. Like when one of your kids dies, they send the other one home so you don't lose both of your kids. Like saving Private Ryan is what about for whatever reason made me. Uh-huh. And I'm like, how do you murder boys in the same family? There's nobody else. Like there's nobody else she could have picked. He's in the same family of somebody you already murdered. Like don't what? I don't know. <laughs> he was last seen by his family on July 19th on his way to get a haircut. He was just trying to get a freaking haircut. Mm-hmm. And he was strangled and buried at Lake, Lake Sam Rayburn. Was his brother then found? Did they know that the other son, they don't know that he's, they never found him yet? No, they found him. They don't know right now, though. Right. Okay. So both of their sons essentially are just missing, missing. forever. Mm-hmm. God. Um, The other two victims, Charles Cobble and Marty Ray Jones, were abducted together on the afternoon of July 25th. Elmer himself later buried both boys' um, bodies in the boat shed. By himself? Mm Mm-hmm. Dang. Um, On August 3rd, 1973, Dean killed his last victim, thank God, a 13-year-old boy from South Houston named James Stanton Dramala. James was abducted by David and Dean while riding his bike in Pasadena and driven to Lamar Drive upon the pretense of collecting empty glass bottles to resell. At Dean's home, James was tied to Dean's torture board, raped, tortured, and strangled with a cord before being buried in the boat shed. Do we have a count? Do we have a count of how many this is? So I think it's 25. Jesus. I don't know that we said all of them, but I think when it's said and done, there was at least 25. That is insanity. And I might know there's more than that. Oh my God. There's more than 25. Because... Okay, so he was said to have killed a minimum of 28 victims. A minimum. So probably more because a lot of them are unidentified. Yeah, or they don't know that he killed them. We'll talk about that next time. But yeah, at minimum 28. God bless. That's insane. Like teenage boys age and from the same area. Just going to get a haircut. This is wild to me. Mm. All right. So, August 8th, well, August 7th is where we're starting. On the evening of August 7th, 1973, Elmer, who at this point was 17, invited a 20-year-old named Timothy Cordell Curley to attend a party at Dean's Pasadena residence. Timothy was a casual acquaintance of Dean's who 
they intended on being his next victim, and he accepted the offer. David was not present at the time. So they arrived at Dean's house where they sniffed paint fumes, which is just so weird to me. Did you ever sniff stuff? Never. Never. I sniffed those paint markers that smelled like uh, different uh, fruit. You and else, sister. Just because they smell good. Sniffing stuff always scared the shit out of me. Yeah, no. I think I heard like very early on that you can go completely brain dead and just die. Yeah, I was I was worried about that huffing stuff, the um, the blow stuff for the keyboards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the same vein. Do you remember that episode of um, man, what is that show called? That um, intervention. Yes, and that girl that was like whole i think i saw that when i was relatively young too and i was like wouldn't be me you know what her name was (laughs) definitely not doing that what was it ashley allison allison i knew it was either you or ashley had the same name as her Mm -hmm. and she was i hope she's doing well now i hope so too she's okay but man that episode that one really got me (laughs) it's like absolutely not no be doing that yeah that was rough. So anyways, they're over here sniffing paint fumes for whatever reason. And they were drinking alcohol until midnight. And at midnight, they left the house, promising to return soon. Elmer and Timothy then drove back to Houston Heights and Timothy parked his vehicle close to Elmer's home. The two got out of the vehicle and started hearing some noise coming from across the street. And it was coming from their 15-year-old friend, Rhonda Louise Williams's house. So they walked over there toward her house, and Rhonda was there with a sprained ankle. She had just been beaten by her drunk father that evening. And Elmer invited her to come out and go to Dean's house with him and Timothy, and she said okay. She climbed into the backseat of Timothy's Volkswagen, and they all drove back to Dean's Pasadena residence. At approximately 3 a.m. on the morning of August 8th, Elmer and Timothy, with Rhonda, went back into Dean's house. Dean was freaking pissed. He was mad. Because she had a vagine. Yeah, he was real mad about this girl being in his house. He was real mad at Elmer for bringing this girl into his house. And told him in private that he had, quote, ruined everything. Mm. Just a little bit dramatic. A little dramatic. Yeah. A little bit dramatic. Elmer explained that Rhonda had argued with her father that evening and didn't want to go back home. Dean appeared to calm down and offered all of them some beer and some weed. And the three teenagers started drinking and smoking weed. And then Elmer and Timothy started sniffing those paint fumes again. What do you do? Do you just go to the store and buy some paint and huff it? Know. Like, oh, is it? It's got to be like spray paint, right? Maybe, maybe kind of that's in I the same vein. Spray paint all over your face when you do that. I don't know. You know what I was really worried about? I thought that would be a bigger deal is uh, eating paint chips. I always heard of like people eating paint chips and how bad that was. I never, never had the really came up. 
Never. I never had that be a thing. That has never happened to me either. But you know what? That that is like a thing, right? Like when the paint yeah. has um, what is lead? Lead, lead isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But who's eating it? I don't babies. I don't <laughs> know. Happen. It must fall off the wall. I mean, because we have plaster walls, so do and we. the paint and does, does yeah. chip. But I don't know. I've never. Evie's never eaten I've paint never chips. Seen anybody eat paint chips? And I didn't even have to. Life. I didn't even have to tell her. To her. <laughs> yeah. She just, she just knew. Not the thing to do. It's evolution. Yeah. I feel like we've surpassed there that. There it is. But yeah, so they're over here sniffing paint fumes. Dean, while they're doing this, is just watching them intently, mm. just checking them out. And after about two hours, everybody except for Dean passes out. Oh no. So he was probably over there not drinking, not mm. smoking weed, not sniffing paint, just waiting yep. for these dumb teenagers to to go to bed. <laughs> oh god. Elmer wakes up to find himself lying on his stomach and Dean is putting handcuffs on him. Not good. Mouth is taped shut, his ankles were bound together. Timothy and Rhonda were laying beside him. All they were both bound with nylon rope, gagged with adhesive tape, and lying face down on the floor. And poor Timothy was naked. He gonna get raped. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Noting that Elmer had woken up, Dean removed the gag from his mouth. Elmer protested in vain against Dean's actions. Where Dean reiterated that he was pissed with Dean for bringing that girl into his house. And that he was going to kill them all after he assaulted and tortured Timothy. Initially saying, man, you blew it bringing that girl. Before shouting, I'm going to kill you all. But first, I'm going to have my fun. He then repeatedly kicked Rhonda in the chest before lifting Elmer to his feet dragging him into the kitchen and placing a 22 caliber pistol against his stomach, threatening to shoot him. Oh, that would be the worst. Mm-hmm. Like just the anticipation of it, knowing it's coming. Not that he didn't deserve it because he totally did. But Elmer calmed Dean, promising to participate in the torture and murder of both Rhonda and Timothy if Dean released him. After about 30 minutes of discussion, Dean agreed, and he untied Elmer, then carried Timothy and Rhonda into his bedroom and tied them to opposite sides of his torture board. Timothy was on his stomach, Rhonda on her back. He then informed Timothy of his intentions to look up his anus as Elmer again began inhaling paint fumes from a paper bag. What does that that's mean? What, that's what you do. You spray spray paint into a paper bag. Oh, and then you huff it. You huff it. Okay, I don't know about this. But what's this look up his anus? What is that? Know. What is that know. intention? There's some stuff later that they, like, we're going to talk about some more, like, of the... um more gruesome things that happened to some of these boys that we really like glossed over in this episode so there's some things in the next episode i think that may give a little bit more information into what that means but at this point i'm not really sure 
Okay. Well, we can't wait for part two. I Um, I could could probably wait. Yeah. So Dean then handed Elmer a hunting knife and ordered him to cut away Rhonda's clothes, insisting that while he would rape and kill Timothy, um, Elmer would do the same to Rhonda. Elmer began cutting away Rhonda's clothes as Dean undressed and began to assault and torture Timothy. Both Timothy and Rhonda had woken up by this point. Timothy began writhing and shouting as Rhonda, whose gag Elmer had removed, lifted her head and asked Elmer, is this for real? To which Elmer answered, yes. Rhonda then asked Elmer, are you going to do anything about it? We don't know. We don't know. Yes, we do. Elmer then asked Dean whether he could take Rhonda into a separate room. Like, do we need to do this here? Can I move her? Dean ignored him. And then Elmer grabbed Dean's pistol and shouted, you've gone far enough. And as Dean was trying to get off of Timothy, Elmer said, I can't go on any longer. I can't have you kill all my friends. So he's had enough. Yeah. Dean approached him saying, kill me, Wayne, which is, you know, his name's Elmer Wayne. So that's what he goes by. Elmer stepped back a few paces as Dean continued to advance upon him, shouting, you won't do it. And then he did. He fired at Dean, hit him in the forehead. The bullet failed to fully penetrate Dean's skull because it's 22, you know? Yeah, little pea shooter. Yeah. And he continued to lurch towards towards him, which terrifying oh yeah oh yeah i shot somebody in the head and they're still coming for me you're a zombie like this was a headshot Uh uh-huh what's happening so he's lurching towards elmer and at that point he elmer fires two more rounds hits dean in the left shoulder dean then runs out of the room hits the wall in the hallway And Elmer fired three more bullets into his lower back and shoulder. And Dean stopped, like, slid down the wall in the hallway outside of the room where the two teenagers were still tied up. And he died there in the hallway. There's a picture in here if you want to see it because it's readily available on the internet. I don't know. (laughs) That is so weird to me that ever since we've been children you can just very easily find dead bodies on the internet right that is i mean bizarre to me it is bizarre but i mean it's not it's not the most graphic image i've ever seen no this one's very mild which is i still remembered to warn you you did (laughs) and i appreciate that you can't see his face which i think would be worse yeah that always is worse I mean, you can see the blood on the wall, and he's definitely there. His butt is very white. But, but was, yeah. He was killed with a twenty-two, so it's not like anything is, like, big Explosive. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, he ended up dying in the hallway, naked. Good. Like that. Yes, exactly. Um, Elmer would later recall that immediately after he shot Dean, the only thought in his mind was that Dean would have been so proud of the way he had behaved during that confrontation. What? What is wrong with him? 
these people are psychos, like all of them. He said that Dean had been training him to react quickly and forcefully and that that was exactly what he had done when he had killed Dean. So Dean would be so proud. I mean, Dean was about to kill him, probably. So Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, probably for sure. After he had shot Dean, Elmer went and released Timothy and Rhonda from this torture board, and all three of the teenagers got dressed and talked about what they were going to do next. Elmer suggested to Timothy and Rhonda that they should just leave. Of course he Of course. Yeah. Like, why would we do anything? Let's just go. Timothy was like, no, <laughs> we should call the police. And Elmer was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just, I'm imagining that is exactly how this went down. Uh-huh. Well, because Timothy does not know that Elmer has is, his... like in, involved in all of this. Right. That. No, I don't think he does. And I'm kind of surprised that Elmer's like, yeah, okay. He just took one person being like, hey, buddy. Let's let's go tell somebody about this situation. So Elmer agreed. He looked up the number for the Pasadena Police Department in Dean's telephone directory and called them. Um, you call nine one one. There's a dead body. What's what's to look up? I don't know. They called the specific police department, though they didn't just call the nine one one number. If there's a body laying in the hallway dead, I'm calling nine one one. I'm sorry. Fair. I mean, me too, but wow whatever so that's that is where we're gonna end today i just want to make it a point before we end this part one also that like we talked about so many people so many dying people, a lot. and and that happened all of that that we talked about happened in the span of three years yeah this was not a long drawn out this was fast very fast it's crazy it just blows my mind yeah it blows my mind too and i wanted to say that they absolutely did not realize they had a serial killer no how not did not i mean i looked it up specifically because like i wonder i haven't gotten that far in my own notes yet but yeah they they absolutely did not know they thought that these young men and boys had been runaways right there's like oh they're all they're all just running away so it all went like undetected they weren't looking for anybody which is effing insane 28 or so boys missing from the same neighborhood and right and the, nobody was like where are all of our young men running off to i could see maybe five like five yeah. runaways okay fine sure, sure. fine Whatever. 28 nope never in the and same area Houston, so it's like a city but still yeah it's too close it's too close together maybe the parents weren't like calling and reporting them missing all the time like and I know some of them obviously did, but maybe not all of them did. So they weren't like, oh my God, there's 28 people missing. Well, and I feel like there are some connections here. I mean, like David yeah. and Elmer, 
they knew they some knew of these, these people. people. Mm-hmm. And Dean. Yeah. 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 Wow. This is There's insanity. Connections. Yikes. Yikes. And two, nobody is questioning why this old ass man is hanging out with these like 15 and 16 year olds all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. That's weird. I know he moved a lot. So maybe there literally was just nobody paying attention mm-hmm. that was like around and saw him more than, you know, a month. Right. But mm, I mean, damn. Damn is right. This is just I just I'm shocked that this is not something that we is like maybe it is mainstream knowledge and we just missed it but i this is not There's something a documentary on netflix called something like the clown and the candy man and it's about john wayne gacy and this guy so i feel I... like i've definitely heard his name before but i just did not realize like i had no idea that it was this many people yes yeah absolutely not and just i don't know there's so many things that came into play here. Like he would not have been able to get all those people to his house if he did not have those two young boys working for him. Like there's no way him as a grown adult man could have lured all of those people in such a short span of time over to his house. So like they were integral to this Mm -hmm. and him moving all the time was integral to him getting away with this, his family not being around. Like nobody is like paying attention to what he's doing. He's just some electrician person that's just minding his own business and moves every five minutes. And what child? I want to know what David's fiance has got to say about probably his weird. I know that he like kind of got out of it at the end there, but I'm sure I wonder how long they were together before he like dipped out. And what his explanation was for, I'm sure, some odd behavior that he had partook in during their courtship. Oh, I don't know. Maybe he just got her pregnant. Yeah. One night stand. And I was like, oh, we should probably get married because they were young. Mm, Yeah. They're like 17 or 18. I mean, they're kids. Yeah. Jeez. Jeez. Oh, Pete's. Because, yeah, I mean, you don't think about that, but they are freaking kids. Where are their freaking parents? I don't know. Talk this about, is just wild. Odd behavior. Right. Where are their parents? I don't know. It's just a lot. Like, things really, I don't know, lined up in a way for this to happen and him not get caught earlier and... I don't know. It's really, really sad. So many young boys and nobody noticed. Right. There was something going on. That really just floors the shit out of me. I can't. That's so many kids to just go missing. And then and it's it was a low income area. And you know how that is like they ran away. Who cares? Whatever. That's still so many in a short amount of time though that just shows how many little kids can go missing and nobody care low income area and Mm -hmm. nobody gave a shit right (laughs) except for some of their parents i don't know Mm. hate that (laughs) 
Well, do you want to cite your sources? I would love to. I use Wikipedia and the sun.com, forensicreader.com, thoughtco.com, and all that's interesting.com. All right. Well, this is part one. Part one. Mm-hmm. We will dive into a lot more on part two of uh, Dean Coral, the Candyman Killer. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We hope you have a great week and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.